Good evening. We will be exploring why the United States, as a signatory to international law, does not comply. And we're speaking of ICERD under the Human Rights Treaty. We'll also explore why human rights over civil rights is the direction that the movement must take in terms of social change. Now, there's a prophecy in the sense that Malcolm X uh, saw this clearly years ago, uh, many years ago, and uh, we're gone full circle in reference to entering the international arena on human rights violations. We'd like to share this evening with uh, uh, the audience uh, before we begin dialogue, uh, Malcolm X's uh, clip on human rights versus civil rights. Uh, Minister Malcolm, I'd like to know why you place so much emphasis on calling the freedom struggle among Afro-Americans in this country a struggle for human rights rather than civil rights. Well, most of our people don't even know the meaning of civil rights. And by not knowing what it is they're actually trying to get, it has uh, eluded us for the past uh, 100 years. Civil rights is supposed to mean citizenship. Uh, when you have civil rights, you have citizenship. When you have citizenship, you have civil rights. And if the uh, 22 million Afro-Americans were actually citizens of this country, it wouldn't be necessary to pass any kind of uh, additional legislation to include us in the Constitution. If you notice, uh, whenever the uh, people come here from Europe, uh, they can come here from Poland, which is a communist country. They, they don't need any legislation to make this Polish person uh, a citizen. They don't need any additional civil rights legislation to make the refugees from uh, Hungary who come here citizens. They don't need any additional uh, legislation to make anyone who comes to this country a citizen. But when it comes to the rights of the black people who are the descendants of slaves, then immediately uh, new legislation is necessary. Uh, so this right here uh, implies that when the Constitution was written in some way or other, it must have excluded those of us who were slaves at that time. And because we were excluded from the Constitution when it was originally written, today they have to amend it in order to include us. Uh, but if you notice, the Civil War didn't include us in the Constitution. Had the Civil War Constitution, we would be citizens today. Had the amendments even to the Constitution actually included us, we would, we would be citizens today. If the Supreme Court desegregation decision way back in 1954 was sufficient to include us into the jurisdiction of the Constitution, all of our problems would be solved today. So there's something about civil rights that makes it almost uh, uh, impossible for us to get it. So you have to know the difference between civil rights and human rights. As long as our people are begging for civil rights or they are labeling their struggle for freedom, justice, and equality under the label of civil rights, then what they do is uh, leave us in the jurisdiction of Uncle Sam's court. And it's actually Uncle Sam who is guilty of all of the uh, violation of our rights that have taken place in this country. So when you go to Uncle Sam to try and get some kind of redress over civil rights uh, violations, you're taking your case to the man who's responsible for the, for, for the violation. So the only way our people can really get some meaningful results, it has to be taken out of Uncle Sam's hands and taken into a world court. And the world court that has been set up to listen to the complaints of human rights violations is, is in the United Nations. Human rights are international and civil rights come within the jurisdiction of the country where these rights are violated. 
Some people may wonder why our brothers from Africa and Asia have not spoken out more boldly or without uh, compromise on the injustices that the 22 million Afro-Americans experience in this country. They can't speak out. As long as these uh, injustices are labeled by us as civil rights, then this remains a domestic issue, and none of our people from abroad, because of protocol, can become involved in Uncle Sam's domestic problems. So all the civil rights groups have to do is expand the struggle from civil rights to human rights. And once it is expanded to the level of human rights, then this puts us in the position to charge Uncle Sam with violating the UN Charter on Human Rights. We can take it before the United Nations and other nations of this earth can then side with us and indict Uncle Sam for the mistreatment of 22 million Afro-Americans. The very fact that uh, the struggle of the black people in South Africa, or I should say the injustices that have been experienced by black people in South Africa have come, has come before the UN, or the injustices experienced by our own people again in uh, Angola has been brought before the UN. Even the uh, oppression of the Hungarians has been brought before the UN. The uh, plight of the Jews in Soviet Russia, and there's only three million of them in Russia, has been brought before the UN. Well, then why hasn't the problem of the 22 million Afro-Americans come before the United Nations? It has not come before them because the leaders of the civil rights struggle don't understand what civil rights actually amount to. And when they are mature to the point where they can see that their present struggle has kept them under Uncle Sam's jurisdiction and Uncle Sam is not morally uh, capable of solving this problem, then they will shift it out of the courts of Uncle Sam and take it to the courts of the United Nations on the level of human rights and we'll get some kind of meaningful result. As long as we keep it at the civil rights level, we alienate the support of our brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia. But when we shift it to the level of human rights, we have the support of billions of black, brown, red, and yellow people from all over this earth behind us. The United States is a great world power and has in the past exercised a lot of control and power within the United Nations. So how can you expect to wage a successful battle against such a powerful country in a world court? Well, whenever you uh, believe in what the United States has taught us concerning democracy, which means uh, one voice, one vote, uh, uh, this is good. Because in the present uh, world setup, world governmental setup, as is represented by the United Nations, each country there has one vote, which means that no matter how wealthy a nation is, it only has one vote. And no matter how poor a nation is, it still has one vote. So the ballot actually equalizes the poor man and the rich man. Uh, back when the United Nations was set up, uh, it consisted uh, largely of white nations, because most of the dark nations were then colonized and weren't uh, independent. Since the uh, dark nations have gained their independence have, and have emerged uh, on the scene, today in the UN you have more dark nations who are in a position to vote in a block than you have white nations. So that uh, we have a situation now where the grouping together of the dark nations who formerly were colonized has given them enough political power to offset the, the military power and prestige of these mighty uh, white nations of the West. And it is their support. It is only in the United Nations, where everyone has the doubt, where everyone has equal vote, that the plight of the black man can be given a just hearing and the weight of the dark world can come down on our side and balance the scale on our side. Whenever you take it into the white man's court, you never will get justice because the white man is the guilty one who committed the crime in the first place. It's like taking your case from the wolf to the fox. 
to take it to Washington, D.C. I don't think I wholeheartedly go along with that, uh, Mr. Malcolm. I uh, have some appreciation for your discussion as regards to uh, the uh, human right and uh, the civil right. But here in America, as a band of Negroes, I think the most progressive thinking that we could possibly attain is civil rights. This is the thing that we want. This is the thing that we hope to get. This is the thing that we're going out to fight for. Without our civil rights, the human rights and the rest of the elements are, are non-entities as far as Human rights concerned. come before civil rights. Human that rights. may be so, but the civil rights are an important factor. You can never get uh, civil rights until you have human rights. Human rights represent the right to be a human being. Whenever you are respected and recognized as a human being, your civil rights are automatic. But if we get civil rights, we are human beings. No, you have, no beings. you have to get the recognition of human rights first. This is why uh, people can come here from Africa and Asia and immediately uh, are able to benefit from what the Constitution stands for because they are recognized as a human being when they touch the shores of North America. But the black people in this country, all of our human characteristics were destroyed by slavery. Our language was destroyed. Our history was destroyed. Our culture was destroyed. And then the white man taught us that we were savages in the jungle and living at a subhuman level. And for this reason, when they put the Constitution together, they classified our people as three-fifths of a man, which meant subhuman, not a complete human being. And once our human characteristics were completely destroyed, this gave them justification for treating us like we were animals. And then, and it also justified their selling us from plantation to plantation like you sell a horse and a cow and a bag of wheat. Why, George Washington himself historically is on record as having sold or having traded a black man for a keg of molasses, which shows you he didn't regard that black man as a human being. If the black man's human rights had been respected, he never could have been a slave here in America, and if his human rights had been restored by the Emancipation Proclamation, automatically we would have been citizens right after the Civil War. So we must be uh, regarded as human. Our human rights must be respected before we can ever be regarded as citizens and our civil rights be respected. So begins our conversation on human rights and human rights as applied to black Americans or the deus. Now I'll get into that. But the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, called ICER, was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 1965 and entered into force in 1969. Now, uh, it was also ratified uh, by the United States uh, under uh, Clinton. And so what happened is that there's a loophole in the human rights process where uh, the United States uh, doesn't seem the, uh, the necessity to comply. Uh, and uh, that became a major issue in how the, uh, the law is being uh, applied in this country for uh, major human rights violations. In fact, uh, I was party to uh, the, a shadow report that was developed since the United Nations uh, this past August in response to the fact that the United States was found guilty of 25 human rights violations. 
and it didn't get much traction in this country. Uh, the fact that uh, this is international law, which is considered uh, 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 treaties are considered supreme law of the land, tied with the Constitution, yet there's no traction uh, uh, on the spotlight uh, of human rights as the background or framework for uh, these violations that are going on in uh, Ferguson and elsewhere. What is interesting is that a new uh, conversation is coming up about systemic racism. Uh, while uh, many uh, so-called whites are in, are in denial of personal racism, uh, can't be in denial of uh, the systemic racism that has been found through statistics as well as the headlines daily. Um, oh, another issue uh, uh, concerning human rights versus civil rights is that uh, civil rights seems to dead end in D.C. And what uh, the, the onus is on you as a plaintiff for any discriminatory violations is to prove intent. That's the technology we see in uh, the civil rights process on top of the fact that civil rights as we speak is an industry, uh, a revenue-generating industry. Uh, and uh, there are uh, uh, figures and people uh, that are really dead set against uh, civil rights. And there's a whole apparatus, finance and otherwise, uh, to diminish, uh, for example, our voters' rights. So with human rights, uh, when the outcome shows the disparities, it's evident, it's systemic or otherwise, it shows the evidence, the uh, United States is compelled by law uh, to make adjustments uh, to confront it. And to date, this is yet to be done. Yet, uh, it seems like civil rights becomes like a reward. You're filing at the end of a whole process for monetary purposes, and this could be carried out as well in international law. So we've got a major issue now in terms of the crossroads of this uh, Black Lives Matter in Ferguson, uh, where people are touting uh, the new civil rights movement or the renewed civil rights movement. And there are many who understand that this is actually a human rights movement. Um, it's intersectional. And it's dealing for the first time with the issue of systemic racism. Yes, sir. Is that a call in, uh, uh, host Sky Reed? Oh, uh, actually, that's your cue to go to break. Okay, well, we're at break then, and be right back with you. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, I, we're back. Forgive me, folks. Bear with me. This is the first time, and it's a one way. We'll be opening up the channels for calls uh, soon. And also to alert you that we will 
planned in our platform here to host uh, various experts and specialists in the areas of uh, international law uh, concerning CERD. But in terms of white supremacy, we also would like to uh, bring in the analysis of white supremacy as race prejudice plus power. Uh, we'd like to understand uh, this international law within the framework of systemic racism rather than it being a standalone uh, verbiage as to the law about discrimination, but it should fit within the framework of, of white supremacy, systemic racism. So we really want to push to understand that better. But right now I'd like to share some uh, words coming out of the ACLU report on the uh, uh, treaty implementation uh, of ICERD. So the United States is a party to a number of human rights treaties and protocols, including uh, ICERD. Uh, however, little oversight and minimal legislative initiatives have focused on codifying the rights and obligations under these treaties and protocols. In fact, in most cases, U.S. action has been limited to just periodic reporting and review process by the Geneva-based committees monitoring compliance. While human rights treaties are first and foremost international commitments and obligations, they have little impact and force if sovereign states do not take action and effectuate them by passing enabling legislation to bring the country in line with international obligations contained in the treaty. Well, another uh, very serious point uh, in terms of civil rights versus human rights is the fact that the government gives you to the legislative process of rights, wherein human rights has been globally acknowledged. We are born with uh, certain human rights. They're innate. It's almost as if we've uh, traded off our human rights for civil rights uh, granted by a government, which actually at the same time that gave uh, the rights to free slaves in the 14th Amendment, which was basically a smokescreen for the uh, the development of corporations and, and their personhood granted under the 14th Amendment. And the majority of the Supreme Court rulings concerning the 14th Amendments deal with corporations, not with free so-called free slaves. So getting back to CERD, uh, there's something that the U.S. used as a loophole that is the reason why we're not able to enter into the world courts on these issues, uh, an issue that uh, was a major focus of Malcolm X in the end of his days, which was getting into the international global arena to human rights. Now, to understand why a ratified human rights treaty so far had little or virtually no impact on the U.S. domestic laws and policies, it's important to remember the underlying principles that appear to have guided Congress during ratification. These principles are translated into reservations, understandings, and declarations, RUDs. And uh, the United States basically with this reservation uh, filled in verbiage that said that we don't really need uh, to adhere to this international treaty because uh, our civil rights and our constitutional law and practice is enough to protect the rights of citizens. Now, that reservation in and of itself lies in the face of the most recent uh, uh, findings of violations of human rights, 25 in all, uh, 
by the United States. So as uh, our society uh, is starting to move to another gear towards uh, social change, uh, we really need to be focused on the fact that we're protecting our human rights and uh, there are initiatives. Uh, it's not just a proclamation or, a, or even a lamentation. It's a, a working mechanism that to date uh, people of color in this country have not utilized to its maximum and we need to secure our human rights. Um, I think uh, we should be opening up for callers. Daddy, do we have one caller calling in? Can you help me out here? Um, you you have the uh, control of the switchboard. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if uh, people want to call in, if you're on Black Talk Radio Network, you already had a number. Uh, let me see if I have the number in front of me. Uh, that t- telephone number seven one two seven seven five. 7035 access code 644-628 hit pound. If you already dialed into the conference line, hit star six and the number one to comment on air. We hope in the future, depending upon how our fundraiser goes to eliminate these long numbers and uh, be able to work with set just uh, seven digit codes for the uh, listeners. But until then, uh, that's what we have. Are you able to see your switchboard now? Yes, I am. Okay. I also want to reiterate the fact that this is just our our launch, and we're kind of casually going over the the areas in which we'll be covering because we expect to have guests uh, in the upcoming shows, uh, as I said, to speak to these issues. But uh, we're going to cover some ground also on the fact that I'm going to get some background on myself as to why I'm kind of really uh, preoccupied with the race treaty. And and that is, uh, I also was involved with Occupy Racism in the uh, the Occupy movement. And um, I found some some real issues in the Occupy movement, as many people of color did, quite frankly. And I was part of the National Gathering uh, Planning Group. And what I found, for one, was that uh, the National Occupy Gathering was uh, dated and calendared during the same time as the MLK 50th anniversary in D.C. So it was almost like an off-site from racial justice issues. Another issue was uh, the appropriation of First Nation folks and their issues and without having them in the planning uh, process. Just wanted to utilize them for powwow dancing and uh ceremonial peace treaty signing. In addition to the fact that there were uh, Tea Party adherents trying to set up booths at the National Gathering. So in the process, uh, we did a a boycott of the Occupy movement and uh, got labeled as being uh, racially divisive and that we identified uh, identity politics uh, rather than the 99%. And We've kind of gone full circle now in the fact that uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, Michael Brown, Amani, Trayvon, have sparked uh, outrage uh, among the youth who are now responding. 
And we're also recognizing that in the process, our human rights violations, uh, as this so-called civil rights report that just came out of uh, D.C. yesterday, uh, is revealing there's a systemic system of white supremacy set up to generate revenue. And uh, basically, uh, civil rights is not not working protecting the rights of the citizens of Ferguson. And uh, one of the real important uh, uh, issues as to why Black Lives Matter is not a, a versus all lives matter, Native lives matter, white lives matter. It's the matter that anti-Black racism is the fulcrum of white supremacy. It's the core, and the core has been sparked uh, with Black Lives Matter. Uh, and it's not just a focus on black youth, uh, counterculture, or otherwise being victimized, because there's over 60,000 black women missing uh, in this country, and no one's really, really uh, speaking to that, uh, legally or otherwise, as well as aboriginal women uh, missing uh, from Canada to the northeast of the United States. So what brings to my mind is, well, why isn't the human rights lens being used when civil rights is uh, dead in, in D.C. and has not really provided protection? And uh, it's something I'd like to really, really uh, delve into in the fact that I assert is uh, this international law is something that's shared with the whole global community. And as we speak about the global community, we must speak about the 2015 being the offset for the uh, UN decade for uh, 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 the diaspora of African descendants uh, scattered throughout Europe and otherwise. And our hope would be that we recognize that this international law is shared and that we can set up a process by which we can try to utilize uh, this international arena uh, to gain our, our rights. Um, another thing that's uh, ongoing with the uh, the CERD, as it's called, Race Treaty, is that uh, we can actually bypass these federal impediments to compliance uh, with uh, the language and the competencies that are attached to the requirements to adhere to uh, ICERD or CERD, and that is enactment into municipal law, which is also supreme law of the land. So we would hope, and we have actually noticed, uh, that there have been a few cities, Minneapolis being one, in terms of uh, uh, leveraging the, uh, the, the race treaty or CERD uh, into local law, but more importantly, uh, for our focus, it would be Jackson, Mississippi, which has been declared the first human rights city. Understanding the power to enact this language of this global law, which protects us uh, uh, in language anyway, uh, better than the civil rights language uh, uh, that uh, we're still uh, jacking and lobbying through more money than otherwise to secure even our uh, voting rights. And so this is the uh the the uh the impetus behind race treaty. Um we don't have any call ins, uh so this seems to be a, like a one sided uh 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 
conversation, but I really, really want to also refer you to uh, not only the Black Talk Radio Network, but anti-racism media, where we're doing a follow-up coverage uh, on these issues concerning uh, CERD and the enactment into local law. Um, Scotty, our audience, do you realize that there are 700 cities in this country that have a majority non-white population? 700 cities that potentially could enact in the municipal law, whatever laws that they deem fit. Through ballot and initiatives? Pardon me? Direct, are you talking about direct democracy if the citizens decided they wanted to enact Correct. Uh, laws after CERD, yes. modeled on CERD, they could? Yes. And, 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 and at, the language of CERD also is not a woe is me law, it's a very actionable law in the fact that the statistics, the data, is what the outcome, the disparities that are, are the binding uh, action force for the, the, the laws to change, to get into compliance. But another thing is, how do you corral the corporations? Because when you speak of government these days, you must speak also of corporations, which are the primary funding source and lobbying source uh, in politics. How do you put them in check? Because there is no obligation, moral or ethical, on the part of corporations uh, to adhere to anything for the betterment of mankind. Corporations, bottom line, is profit for their shareholders, period. And so how do you put that into check? Because most of the time that corporations, be it that they're non-living humans, but they're given personhood, are found guilty No one's going to jail. That was the gripe behind Occupy and Wall Street. No one goes to jail. Meanwhile, you get fined and penalized in increments on a a plan, payment plan, and uh, long-term or otherwise that are also used for uh, writing off taxes. So this law also places corporations into check in adhering to uh, law as it's the main instrument in the apparatus of white supremacy. Institutionalized racism comes through these corporations as well. So it's not just a government uh, a lamentation, woe is us. Uh, this is actionable on the local level uh, to enact certain into local law. And so these are different strategies because uh, civil rights is not just about, you know, a leader that gets uh, television contracts and are picked or leaders that are, you know, uh, financed and funded and supported to change our designations uh, in terms of who we are as African-Americans uh, before Afro-Americans, before black and colored and Negro all in my lifetime. And who's doing this behind the scenes? on the census, who has that power to define. Uh, and so uh, a lot of uh, people are afraid of the U.N., and they're saying, uh, well, the U.N. ain't really done nothing for us, and they're part of the New World Order. But in fact, I have yet to see, uh, personally, the dynamic leadership on the part of people of color housed and functioning in uh, the U.N., uh, it's not just government. There are a lot of uh, nonprofits or NGOs that have consultancy status and function within the uh, committees within the UN, specifically CERD. We'd love to see some of our potential leadership in there rather than bureaucrats and uh, organizations that are 
finance and don't even adhere to the law itself because most of these nonprofits, NGOs, human rights and otherwise civil rights do not adhere uh, uh, to the precepts of the, the non-discrimination. They're organizations are hierarchical and are controlled top-down, usually board-wise, by non-whites. And they make money off of uh, the organizations or the people that they service uh, using coded linguistic racism, uh, target groups, at-risk populations. So we need the international arena, and there are a lot of people, Dr. Uh, Renelia Randall being one, who have uh, fought and spent many days and times uh, uh, invested in uh, international law. And uh, to give some backdrop to CERD uh, and its function, you know, uh, some weeks before the September 11th attack, there was a international conference on racism, and the United States walked out. Uh, the second time around, Israel walked out, and the United States walked out as well. Uh, what has been the major problem in terms of systemic racism and, and white supremacy is this invisibility in terms of uh, the definitions as to what uh, is what comprises uh, uh, systemic racism. And uh, at that Durban conference concerning racism, they were attempting to universalize the definition which could be thereby codified into law where violators could be brought to world court. And so basically to set the pathway for reparations and also to convict a system that's based on white supremacy while at the same time denies uh, the apparatus as being systemic. Uh, so Malcolm X is on point, and uh, we have a tendency between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X to cherry-pick statements and quotes, and we don't put them in the historical context of these, these leaders and their vision and the carrying over of their vision. And in terms of Malcolm X, he saw clearly, and as did uh, uh, Martin Luther King, but Malcolm X was really focused on the fact that we need our human rights uh, protected established. We need that identity uh, uh, fixed in the world community. And uh, as of now, we're doing marches and getting reports from the federal government telling us what we already knew with detail uh, concerning uh, systemic racism. So uh, we're close to a, a break here. Uh, I'd like to also get into the fact that uh, um, there are uh, opportunities uh, coming with the uh, ten-year decade uh, to further this conversation on human rights because that is really what we all have in common uh, legally, in terms of the law, the, uh, globally. Uh, all countries don't have civil rights. We go ahead and take a break. Okay. Well, then we'll go to a quick break and we'll come back. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned.
This is Elliot Booker, host of Time for an Awakening Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, speaking in behalf of the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser. Since 2008, the Black Talk Media Project, which has created Black Talk Radio Network, has engaged in producing original content from a black perspective for the global black community. You can help us continue this mission and help us even more by giving donations to the Black Talk Media Project's 2015 fundraiser and asking others to do so also. Let us work together to make 2015 a stronger year for independent black media. Again, this is Elliot Booker of Time for Awakening Radio Program on the Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. Yes, we're going to delve deeper yet into the uh, the status of descendants of Africans enslaved in the United States. Uh, that is a description that was developed by Dr. Vanelia Rando as we developed a shadow report to the UN uh, concerning the status of the descendants of Africans enslaved in the United States. Uh, and... Uh, the end of the report deals with the violations of ICER, and I've spoken about the violations two or three times, and uh, let's let's get to what they were or are. In relationship to the descendants of uh, Africans enslaved in the U.S., we'll call it Deus, the United States has violated Articles 2, 3, and 5 of the Convention of the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. Uh, Article 2, the United States has violated Article 2 through 1 by not eliminating all forms of racial discrimination. The Court of the United States interpretation of Title 6 of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is that it forbids intentional discrimination. That's the proving intent issue. The law permits all other forms of discrimination and racism, including negligent discrimination, which is this new banner banter uh, concerning uh, implicit bias, you know, uh, the subconscious actions that are built in. Uh, the law doesn't uh, permit us to, to pursue the issues of this implicit bias, which is built into uh, the system. There's nothing on the on, uh, concerning uh, negligent discrimination in the Constitution that implicit limits discrimination law to intentional, only intentional. Since most discrimination is based on non-intentional conduct, according to implicit bias, the law permits most discrimination. U.S. law, civil rights law, permits most forms of discrimination. Furthermore, the United States has blocked direct access to the court for disparate impact discrimination, which is really the outcome of, of, of the data, the disparate impact. And in fact, in 2001 in Alexander and Sandoval, the Supreme Court held that individuals could not sue for disparate impact discrimination because it was a right of action created through regulation. Regulation. Part of the mechanism and the apparatus of, uh, structural racism. The court has held that, that the only recourse was to file a complaint with the appropriate government regulation. So now you're being followed from this uh, uh, discrimination under civil rights where you have to prove intent. Now you're being followed into complaints to uh, 
uh, appropriate agencies through their regulatory process. Uh, this could have been remedied by the passage of a law granting direct access to the courts. However, in the 13 years since the decision has uh, been made, no attempt to solve this problem by any president or Congress. This is devastating since uh, most discrimination is disparate, impact, or negligent discrimination based on implicit bias rather than intent. Thus, the United States has, has allowed a law to stand that perpetuates racial discrimination rather than eliminate it. This is our civil rights apparatus. Now, you know, I've been really nice. I'm just not even going to deal with the civil rights so-called leaders uh, uh, and how they, you know, secure VIP sections and protest actions and develop, uh, you know, social uh, green turf or astroturf organizations that are financed by people behind curtains uh, that they're accountable to. Uh, and that's what we call civil rights leadership. Um, the United States has violated Article 3 by maintaining a system of racial segregation and apartheid. Uh, since slavery, the United States has supported segregation in housing, education, even despite the Board of uh, Brown versus Board of Education under civil rights. The segregation and isolation of black schools has actually increased. In fact, 40% of black students attend schools that are more than 90% minority up from 34% 24 years ago. So furthermore, I mean, through mass incarceration, the United States has de facto reestablished slavery. The prison system has been, become a financial center fueled by black bodies. Uh, that's another uh, human rights violation, you know, not to mention the, the, the torture, uh, not to mention uh, most, most recently uh, what was revealed in Chicago, uh, the Gitmo Torture Center set up right there, uh, a black site, right there in the inner city of Chicago. And the prisoner school pipeline, you know, the, the, the process. And what we know is that uh, there's examples of racism to prove that it's systemic in all areas of people activity. I mean, in education, for example, black students represent just 18% of the preschool enrollment, but 40%, 42% of the students who are suspended once, and 48% of the students are suspended twice or more. We've got criminal justice, as we just spoke about, health care, housing, employment, food, land, and not to mention uh, uh, environmental racism as well. Uh, it's systemic, structural. Uh, it needs to be brought to bear under the under the uh, the law. Uh, ISO. There's more energy being spent on how to skirt compliance and join the uh, the international community for whatever reason. Uh, and we've uh, still have blinders on. Uh, I'm not even going to call them blinders. I'm going to say that we do not look at the issues of white supremacy and racism. Uh, we don't look at it through a human rights lens. We just have not been able to take on the uh, take on the advice, the prophecy, if you will, uh, of this, uh, Malcolm X. And this is not even about personality politics. It's about his his analysis 
of our positioning as uh, uh, so-called African Americans in this country. We're not getting redress within the present structural system of, of, of civil rights. And there's there's de facto law that we just united here to that is shared by the uh, the world uh, community. So in the terms of the violations of CERD, there's no actionable uh, uh, response because uh, the United States isn't fully committed to this treaty that is signed. And First Nation folks, indigenous folks are fully aware of fake treaties. Uh, uh, and on that, guys, though, uh, recently uh, got a printout of the fact that there's over 2,000 cities in the United States whose mayors have signed this uh, this public relations uh, support of, you know, the human rights surge law. Uh, there's nothing actionable uh, in the way of legislation or law surrounding it. It's just basically a ceremonial support of, of surge. So, Mayors are quite aware, uh, we're aware also of the statistics in terms of cities that could, in fact, uh, enable uh, CERD to be enacted into municipal law, such as following the, uh, the model of uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson Rising. Uh, we're going to go into our last break here for the end of this, this first show. Thank you for your patience. This is the last chance, I think, for this country to sort of respond to the quiet and peaceful petitions of people who are asking for very, very just solutions to very, very real problems. But we know what we can do. We want to create, like the white race created, because we are creative people. We just don't want to be the bricklayer. We want to be the designer of the building. The architect, they say we are apes, monkeys, but I know that I'm as great as any white man that ever lived, and any white man that will ever live, and I know my brothers are just as great. I'm like any other human being. I have fears, and I want to live, but I will die for what I believe in. I will die for the liberation, liberation, liberation of black people. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Hi, thank you, Sally. Um, um, all right. In these last 15 minutes, also talking about uh, the issue of uh, systemic and structural racism. Uh, you know, there's a lot of new language, new vocabulary coming out with implicit bias, and buffer, and actually, Scotty Reed is, uh, and I'm going to help codify. Uh, a term that basically describes in a very uh, uh, concise way 
uh, those who enable the status quo as proxy races. So it's not a color thing, whereas uh, white people are racist and black people can't be racist. That may be true on the level of racism uh, systemically. Personal racial prejudice, everyone uh, has whatever levels of that. And there is a difference between prejudice and racism. Um, but then the behaviors of those who come from the ranks of the oppressed, who have now uh, indoctrinated and embraced the system in which they only know, which is the system in which we live under, uh, we consider those individuals uh, proxy racist. And uh, Scotty Reed brought that term, and, and I really uh, think it describes uh, the cognitive dissonance that we suffer uh, as one of the reasons for the cognitive dissonance is that we, and the outcome is that we uphold the status quo. And so part of self-determination, obviously, is figuring out what's good for you what's best for the collective and initiating it without it being a uh, an expectation of uh, uh, resolving dependency. So I think in the coming weeks, I want to explore uh, with uh, some of our future guests, one being uh, Dr. Mustafa Ansari, who's an international lawyer, um, how we can... Uh, gain traction with the uh, social movements that are underway uh, as a human rights movement? And how can we actually enact uh, this surge into local law? Uh, another friend, uh, Sandy Burnaby, shout out Sandy, um, with the People's Institute and Anti-Racist Alliance. Uh, she's also president of... Uh, NSAW, Social Workers in New York. They had a, a think tank this past uh, year, and they came to the conclusion, which was, you know, obvious going into it, but it called, it called out the need that there's no competency in any industry or profession in this country dealing with uh, racial equity issues. Uh, you have so-called specialists. You have different uh, camps, if you will, schools of thought as to what the definition is of racism, white supremacy. You have the deniers, and you have the counter uh, mantra of anti-racism means anti-white. And uh, so you have folks functioning on a personal level with the personal animus, interpersonal, uh, racism, and then the uh, structural, and then institutions culminating in a system of racism. And we feel that uh, with the hard data that it can be proved in international course that this country uh, engages as a functioning system on right supremacy, racism. We say that because, uh, you know, we're here in 2015, federal government has this great touted report on the issues uh, concerning Ferguson, but there's been no mandate uh, for uh, statistics on police killings nationally. They're just now setting up databases, trying, and everybody's uh, scrambling to get this data 
But in reality, we need that data from all areas of people activity, health, education, law, uh, all areas to paint the picture of the system of white supremacy. And uh, right now, uh, I understand that the uh, U.S. is in violation of international law, so its credibility is diminished even internally on a national level, obviously, with the, uh, the issue of racism and race denial. And we have this report, if it's analyzed properly, and we promote everybody, ask everybody to read up on this report to analyze it for yourself, how these uh, disparities and these outcomes uh, were made, and more importantly, what can we do to hold accountable a system? Intent aside, we need to hold accountable a system described uh, uh, based on the privilege granted to some, to denied others. And in reference to uh, the definitions of racism, uh, we at anti-racism media are, are remind, uh, be forbearing of where people are at and, and what they hold true as a definition because ultimately it becomes an opinion then as to what racism is and it does need to be universally defined. And for our purposes in the social science and social change groups, we find that the definition of racism as Racism is race prejudice plus power. And that's in simplistic terms, without getting into the power analysis of the apparatus set up, uh, we're living it. Uh, the school to prison pipeline is, is an example of that power where industries are fueled and financed by black bodies. Uh, there are also existing complementary uh, definitions that are keen to differentiate what is prejudice or race prejudice, bigotry, versus what is racism. And also it delves into uh, the implicit bias, which is the subconscious behavior uh, without there being animus. And so... Without the animus, I guess, there's no intent. So all these other areas of the spectrum of racism don't count in the court of law and under civil rights, only intent. So we also hold, you know, racism is a global system, not just a national system. Uh, we post that anti-racism media daily on uh, the marches and manifestations uh, on racism around the country and around the world. Uh, and our hope on, uh, is that under this 10-year decade that we'll be able to set up maybe a software or a uh, a uh, IT portal where we're able to communicate across language barriers uh, because uh, you have a lot of Spanish-speaking people of African descent. You have even more uh, Portuguese-speaking Ten times more Africans in Brazil than the United States, and we don't even kick it at all. And that's a shame uh, in terms of us coming together with the common uh, experiences of oppression under the global system of racism. Um, 
So, human rights. Give me my human rights. I was born with them. Uh, civil rights uh, is a mechanism, and when it's the only game in town, it looks like it's, you know, it's a great thing. But uh, uh, 50 years later, we enter into the Selma March, named after a KKK hero. Uh, and you go through the 50 years of, uh, of Malcolm and his message resonates more now than at any time uh, in the sense that we need to identify in the global community and we need to also demand in the process of our protests, we need to demand our human rights and we need to demand the audience of the global community on the international platform by demanding that the U.S. adhere to uh, its obligations on the international law, Supreme Court law of the land, serve the race treat, sign and shield, but not deliver. Thank you for joining us this evening on Black Talk Radio. Thank you for the host of Scotty Reed, and we hope for some more participation as we have uh, a weekly show Fridays at 9 o'clock. Thank you again for joining us at Race Treaty.